Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. My guest today has one of the most poignant voices in local news, and we'll get to her in a second. Before we do, here's this. First, please subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It is the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download all of them on your own. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Secondly, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too, a kind rating on iTunes is the best way to boost us in the rankings and in the search. So I kindly encourage that. Finally, you can buy my book, The Solo Video Journalist, wherever fine books are sold. It's a how-to guide for the most in-demand job in local TV news, The Solo Video Journalist, those who shoot and edit their own stories. It's getting picked up by college classes. It's being read around the world. Again, that is the solo video journalist on sale now. There are some guests that join me here on the podcast where the credentials speak volumes. My guest today, she's got Emmys. She's got Murrows. She's worked in major cities from the north to the south to the west coast, and she's now a standout reporter for KXAS-TV in Dallas-Fort Worth. I've been very excited about this one for quite a while now. Noelle Walker, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. That was such a nice introduction. I hope I can live <laughs> up to the billing. <laughs> People seem to be very surprised by how I introduce them, and I'm not sure why, because they're always quite esteemed and, and quite accomplished guests. So uh, I, I just speak the truth, Noelle. That's all I do. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> so I, I asked you here, uh, and like I said, you're, you're someone who... You know, I've admired for a long time. I've gotten to know you through various avenues, and I've been excited for this. But the the actual event that led to me reaching out to you was a conference you recently spoke at, the Women in Visual Journalism Conference uh, out in Denver, put on by the extraordinary Ann Herbst, who was a guest She's on this podcast way amazing. back when. Or as she'd say, rad. She's she rad. wouldn't say that about herself, but <laughs> I do. She was actually, I think, the third guest I ever had on this podcast. And it's only out of my desire to interview a different person every time that I haven't had her back to talk <laughs> about this conference. However, I wanted to bring someone in who, who spoke at the conference, who was there, and who can speak a little bit to the various challenges, the various benefits, and the just the life that is being a woman in visual journalism in the year 2018. And especially as someone who is not a woman, I always feel like it's very important that I use my podcast to bring on perspectives that are different than my own and illuminate perspectives that are different from my own. So I'm so excited to talk to you. And, and I mentioned to you a few days ago, as we were kind of previewing this podcast, that's what I wanted to dive into. And, and I guess my first question for you is, you know, this was a sold out conference. And when I looked at the, uh, the schedule of events, it seemed like such a unique conference in terms of the subject matter. What were some of the standout moments for you from those few days in Denver? I mean, there are several. I mean, first, just visually, when you look across the room and see and I'm going to say mostly women, because there were a few men there. Men are not turned away. Um, but when you look across the room as you're, you're kind of sitting up on you know, the stage area, 
and just uh-huh. see a room full of women, that's both encouraging and empowering, I think. And I think particularly for younger women who are starting in the business to be able to see um, other people who are more like them than maybe others in their newsroom, just simply by chromosomes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's not just that, it is that, you know, we do the same jobs, but you, as you said, you, there's a different perspective that just innately comes from walking in the, in my case, high-heeled shoes of a woman. <laughs> and that's my choice. I wear high-heeled shoes um, or chucks. Those are or my chucks. two choices. All right. Very good. <laughs> but, so I, I, I think this conference for me really focused my, I don't know, I think something that I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of when you're walking around with this perspective, that it's a unique perspective that needs to be shared. Um, I remember, I'll, I'll, I'll say even last year I was at this conference, I spoke at this conference, or not spoke, sorry, um, was on a panel. And I remember one of the still photographers whose name escapes me, uh, and I feel horrible for that, but her, her presentation stuck with me because she covers Washington DC a lot. Uh, and they had another photographer this year still who also covers Washington DC a lot, which is a very uh, boys club kind of place, not just in the people who work there, but also in the journalists who cover it. Um, photojournalists in particular. Hmm. And she flashed up this photo of Hillary Clinton. I don't know if it was at a debate or at a town hall, but you could see the sea of people. I think it was more of a, a stump speech. You could see the sea of people off the stage, kind of in the background. And she must have gotten down on her stomach on the stage. Her photo was of Hillary Clinton's feet and her high heels and one of her, she had one of her feet out of the shoe, like the shoe is uncomfortable, but there she is standing there in this high powered suit with all of these people watching. Um, And I don't know that that's a perspective that a male photographer who could be equally as good would have thought to take. And That's that's fascinating. And that's why a woman's perspective is needed because you're only getting half of the story. I think if you don't have those perspectives in a newsroom. So it's such a good point. And I remember last year I spoke on a few panels at journalism conferences that were all male. And the question was posed at each of these panels, you know, why isn't there more diversity on these panels? Why isn't there more diversity in uh, in the newsroom ranks when it comes to photojournalists and storytellers. And at each panel, someone, and it was a different person who said this each time, but a different person said, well, for me, it's not about whether you're a man or a woman or your race or, or your, your, uh, your ethnicity or your religion or anything. Good storytelling is good storytelling. And I always found that to be a bit disingenuous because I think, and you're, what you just brought up as a perfect example of this, what makes a good story for a man, given a man's background, is not necessarily going to be the same as what makes a good story for a woman. And, And again, it's not that all men are one way and all women are another way, but 
your background and your perspective on something allows you to perhaps understand a story in a different way. And I think that example of the high heel and her foot having to come out of it mm-hmm. is a perfect one to illuminate that. Exactly. And, and I'm ashamed for, you know, not really realizing, I think until that moment, just how different our perspectives can be and, and, and how different we see the world sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it took somebody, you know, flashing up a, a picture on a screen for me. To, <laughs> you know, those could have been my feet. Um, <laughs> but it, it took uh, that photo being flashed in front of my face to, to kind of realize, oh, yeah, that's right. I do. I actually have a, a, something different to say. Um, because I think as a woman, it, and coming up in the business world, you very often try so hard not to be the woman in the business world. You just want to be the best storyteller, the best boss, the best whatever it is that you're trying to do. You don't want it qualified necessarily. No. Um, and I don't think it has to be qualified, but but I think it needs to be acknowledged that there's a difference. We're not the same. And that's okay. <laughs> That's and great. that maybe the woman's perspective is the more appropriate perspective. For some story. stories, it might be, yeah. Or or at least it's just a, a perspective worth showing. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So the other the one thing that I noticed too when I was looking at photos of the conference, because I didn't attend and I, you know, I other than what you're telling me now, I know very little of what was mm-hmm. discussed at the conference. But I noticed that when I was looking at the photos, just the way that the women in attendance dressed was much more casual, much more low key. And it, it seemed like an atmosphere that was much more focused on getting down to business um, in, in ways that I, I think are really important. And, and I'm not sure if that was something that stood out to you or, or stood out to other people, but I know in talking with one attendee, she said that that was kind of the tone that was set pretty much from the top from Anne, like, you know, we're not we're not trying to dress for anybody else at this conference. We are here for us, and we're here to, you know, to be serious about what we're doing. Well, I mean, if you haven't met Anne, I, I'm, she must have a closet full of chucks. I don't know. Right. I, I mean, I have four. I'm sure she outnumbers me. But I did have several several women there on the first day um, ask me what they should wear, and. I, I, you know, it wasn't something I had really thought about because I just brought jeans and t-shirts and a, and a blazer, honestly, to keep from being cold because I'm always cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> we could go into a whole podcast about how newsrooms are too cold. <laughs> we could definitely do that. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I just said jeans and a for me, like minimal makeup. Um, so I don't know, again, that that was a conscious decision or maybe people just feel more comfortable that it's, you know, not um, in a newsroom full of men or having to go out in the field and and work. I'm not sure. I don't know. See, and there's the male perspective because I don't know that I was fully conscious of that. Mm. Um, I was thinking about other conferences that I've been a part of and and I planned a conference... um, two years ago now, 
uh, with John Kirtley, who now runs Sound of Life Media, and, and he does the Sound of Life Storytelling Workshop every year, which I highly recommend. And I remember how we needed to, at the time, make a conscious effort to find people who didn't look like us and who yeah. weren't of our gender. And it was tough because I think, again, for us, a lot of the traditional uh, categories that you would try to check off when you're planning a workshop, the standouts that we thought of were mostly men, especially in a photojournalism one. Right. And so I think one of the big victories of this conference is that not only has it, you know, not only is it women only in terms of the speaker lineup, but it's reimagined what kinds of topics should be addressed. And the other example I'll point out on that is, and, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of the conferences that I've spoken at that absolutely changed my perspective on this whole issue is the Alaska Press Club Conference, um, which is up in Anchorage every year, and they invite quite a quite a selection of storytellers from various forms of media. And of all the conferences I've ever spoken at, it was the most diverse, and it was majority women in terms of the speaker lineup. And not coincidentally, it was run by a woman. And the topics that came up as a result of that were, again, so much different than the norm, but also so much more illuminating and riveting than right. the norm in a way that made me think, boy, we're really missing those of us who, you know, who consider ourselves thought leaders or, you know, people who take the time to plan conferences. We're really missing the boat if we're not willing to examine perspectives that might not seem like the most important thing to do at a conference or might make us a little uncomfortable, but is probably going to speak to a large segment of the population that we just can't get inside the minds of. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, I think it's important to include women in conferences that are not just women's conferences, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I spoke at NPPA with Joseph Huerta, who's an amazing photographer that I know you know. Um, Big fan. Yes. Um, and we talked about team storytelling and kind of this dance that you do when you're, particularly when you're with um, another creative who is kind of in your head as, um, you know, photographers like he and Ryan Oliveira and, and, and Mike Richard, you know, when you kind of work with these people who are super creative and, and want to kind of reach out of the box to, to tell a story, they, you can get them to buy into the perspective that you're seeing. So, I mean, that's where it's also important. It doesn't mean that as a woman, you need to work with other women to, to get your, um, vision across. It's just kind of the initial seeing the vision mm -hmm. that um, sometimes they might not see. doesn't mean that they don't always see it. Sometimes they do too. Mm. Guys can have a feminine side. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Richard and Ryan Oliveira, by the way, two uh, tremendous photographers for those who, who are not familiar out at your current station, Noel KXAS yeah. in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. I, I'm curious when you talk about that perspective, and, and again, I think that Hillary Clinton photo is such a great example of it. <clears throat> Are there examples that you can think of in, in the daily storytelling that you do where you found that that just having those voices speak out in the newsroom 
or being on the scene and, and putting a, a woman's perspective on it has been critical? Well, I mean, look, we're in a time where it's critical. Um, I mean, there's a hashtag for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think in the Me Too times, it is critical um, to at least get a discussion going about seeing things from a side that um, maybe men just haven't experienced. Um, and that's not to say that men cannot be in that, you know, same kind of awful position. Um, but I, I think if you don't have those voices around the editorial table to discuss if you're going to do a story, for instance, you know, related to me too, what voices you need to hear from and what the, and, and how else to come at this story and, and frame it, then you're doing your newscast and, and by extension, your viewers a disservice. Yeah. And again, I, 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 I'm maybe I miss, uh, communicated the question, but it wasn't oh. so much, you know, is there value in having women's yeah. voices? That's for sure. Yeah. But is, you know, are there instances that you can think of where, you know, where, where that's been, uh, not an issue, but that's been a necessity, uh, to speak your voice in a situation where perhaps it wasn't getting heard enough and that perspective wasn't getting heard enough. Um, I mean, I, 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 well, I think that's what I was saying in, in just kind of in these times too, that yes, I think it, um, when you're doing these kinds of stories, I think it's mm. important. Got um, it. um, but I'm trying to think of a specific example of, I, I mean, I, I, I will say really when this all started, like with the, the Roger Ailes, um, news, when that first broke, there was a discussion in our newsroom and I think there was, um, initially it was kind of like, well, it's another network. And, and remember this was all just starting. There wasn't all this news bubbling up, but, but the women at that table made it a, probably a longer discussion than it might have otherwise been. Mm -hmm. Um, it might've been a mention again, without the context of, of all of these other instances coming up since then. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think things like that, it's important, but it doesn't have to be so heavy either. I mean, it can be lighter issues too. Um, you know, well, I mean, even just in you're, like you said, your daily storytelling of, of trying to find different faces, different voices, people that don't look like you. Um, I mean, I do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I seek out people when I can that um, aren't, that will reflect the audience that don't necessarily look like myself. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you're still trying to find the best person for the story, but sometimes there are many best people for the story and it's up to you as, as the journalist to try and find those other voices, other perspectives. This is the telling the story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Noelle Walker in 
extraordinary reporter at KXAS-TV in Dallas-Fort Worth. Noel, you mentioned earlier that especially for the younger women in the audience at the conference, it was really important to have this kind of discussion. What do you think younger female journalists are not hearing enough in their newsrooms that needed to be heard at the conference and, and needs to be heard in general? Um, and let me well, say before you answer, I, I preface this by saying that every college class I ever speak with is almost 90% women. And I feel like the vast majority of journalists coming into newsrooms today and specifically broadcast ones are women. So this is, you know, this is almost the entirety that I've seen. Um, So so I preface this in saying that 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 women make up the vast majority of. Of, you know, first job and entry level newsroom reporting and and uh, photography employees. So I think that's an important preface for this kind of a question. Yeah. And isn't that funny? And I don't, I don't know why that is. I have a theory that is, I mean, would not be reportable on air because I have no facts <laughs> to back it up. You can but freely I, speculate on this podcast I, if you want. I, I, my theory is because, I mean, look, when you first start in news, I was making $14,500 a year and that was good. <laughs> I was on the upper end. I feel like women are more willing to accept less pay, especially starting out, than a man. Um, that there is still, you know, obviously there's there's still a, a financial divide in in many industries, but and I think women tend to stick with that not so great pay for <laughs> longer than a man. Um, that's my theory. My working theory. You know what's really interesting about that? You are far from the first woman to say that to me. Yeah. So I, I, I think I have nothing to add to it other than to say you are not alone in thinking that might be what's going on. Right. So I think that women, uh, what's, what's important for the younger women to know is, A, you're not always going to make $14,500. If you, if you work hard and perfect your craft, it's not, it's not going to just come to you. You have to work at it. Um, that's for anyone, of course, too. Exactly. In anything you do. Um, but I also think it's important for them to know that, um, there are places in newsrooms, uh, for them in management, um, I mean, it is not something I have done. It was something early on I thought I wanted to do. And then and then I had a news director pull me in um, that I didn't know what I was getting into to be the witness to somebody being fired, but I didn't know that that was what was happening. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I decided maybe I, I really don't <laughs> want to be the person who does that. Um, but um, But you made that decision, though. Yeah, I did. But I I have also, and I, I feel like I might be in the minority, I have had many um, women news directors. I mean, I would say almost half of my news directors have been women. And from speaking with other people, I gather that that's probably not the norm. So I don't know how that's happened. Um, but there 
you know, there are definitely jobs out there and I have friends who have moved on into management who are amazing. So uh, I think for younger women, um, you know, if they start off as a producer or a photojournalist or a reporter and want to do something different, that, that they need to know that there are those avenues to do it and to seek out those people who can help them do it, um, who can help them get there and give them a, a path. I love that. And it's funny, I, I, you know, I don't really think about this much, but I've worked in my career almost entirely for women. Um, and I think in, in those cases, they have been very effortful as far as mentoring and promoting, uh, you know, potential candidates, potential female candidates to managers. And uh, one of, we just had an assistant news director who was once uh, an MMJ, I think the first MMJ in our company, and wound up kind of gravitating towards the management side to the point where she now just took a news director job in Kentucky. And, and, I, and I, I think that was largely because of her own uh, you know, career ambition and, and her own vision and thought process. But I think she was also you know, fortunate to be in an environment where there were leaders looking out for that ambition. Right. And who are right. able to recognize it and not just suppress it or dismiss it. I think the other thing too is, and I had mentioned this last year when I was on a panel at this conference, that women, I think sometimes can equate um, ambition um, and wanting to move ahead as, as feeling like they need to be maybe not as n nice. You know what I mean? Mm. I. I, I have always thought that, you know, you can still be a nice person and, and get ahead. And, and, and in the end, it'll get you further. Is that because nice somehow represents like submissive I, or, yeah, so or? I, I don't know if there's this perception that if you are nice, you are weak or submissive or, huh. or not a leader. I, I think the best leaders are also kind and and nice, whether you're a woman or a man. It's not unique to women, by the way. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I do think that much of what you've brought up, um, you know, that are perfectly good lessons for the young male journalists. The idea that, yes. you know, you'll probably, when you start in the business, make, I don't know, about 14,000, but you'll probably make 20. Yeah. You know, you probably won't make much more than that. And, you know, it doesn't last, but you do also have to work and work and work at it, and it's not guaranteed. And that's, you know, regardless of gender. Um, and then I think what you just said, too, I, I think when you're young, and, and I don't know that it's necessarily that you think you're supposed to be nice, but I think you're supposed to portray um, maybe a confidence and an expertise that you haven't quite earned yet. Right. And I think it's okay to be yourself and especially as journalists and, and you know, this as well as anyone as a, as, as the reporter that you are, you know, when you're interviewing someone and you legitimately don't know why someone feels the way they do about something, your reporter's instinct, instinct says to ask, why do you feel this way? Right. Because I don't understand. And I think for a lot of people, again, both men and women, there is a certain vulnerability that comes with that, that I think when you're early in your career, 
you feel a little nervous about showing because you don't want to necessarily put out that maybe you don't know because that might that might support all the stereotypes of a young, you know, 20, 21, 22-year-old reporter in a small town that they don't know. But in reality, that's how you find things out is by asking about what you don't know. I think you, if you're asking someone to be vulnerable, and you are when you're interviewing them, then you need to be a little vulnerable as well. You need to be not a reporter, just a human being. <laughs> <laughs> Having that. a conversation with them. <laughs> Um, and that applies with your colleagues too. I mean, you, I think people want to work with you if you're kind and, and respectful and respect their opinions and their perspectives. Um, and, and again, I, I feel like maybe sometimes women feel like they need to be less vulnerable to get ahead. Like you can't show your emotion. Um, I haven't mastered that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, but I think it's okay to show people that, that you are human. Uh, um, what do they say? You can get, you can get more with, uh, sugar than vinegar or with more flies with honey, I think. Flies right. Honey. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the the fly catching industry that's yeah. you know all important here, but yeah, I get the the analogies holds. Yes, for sure. Exactly, um, but I I just think for anybody, women women or men, being being kind is is king or queen. <laughs> this is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Noelle Walker, tremendous reporter and an Emmy and Murrow winning reporter at uh, KXAS TV in Dallas Fort Worth. Noelle, I always like to use this last section of the podcast as an advice section for younger journalists. We've been kind of doing that throughout, but I did want to hone in on your specific career and your individual journey in broadcast news and the kinds of lessons you learned early on that, you know, that maybe not that you wish you had known beforehand, but the kind of things that you feel would be valuable to pass on to people just getting into the industry now. So I I would say playing off of what we just talked about a little bit. This is a competitive business. I mean, make no mistake about it. But um, I didn't step on people to get where I am. And I've been extremely fortunate, even in the most dysfunctional of newsrooms. um, And I'm not, and this one is not, just for the record. (laughs) um, To work with, people who uh, I not only, you know, liked and respected as colleagues, but they were friends that felt like family. And quite literally every place I have worked, I have found those people and Mm. have been lucky to find those people. And I still keep in touch with people throughout my career. Um, And I think that says a lot. I think that's you know, if you're just starting out, something to keep in mind. Seek out um, those people and cultivate those relationships. Because, I mean, who knows? What if your photojournalist that you're working with today in Market 150 is going to be your news director one day in Market 5? You know, and don't do it just because of that. But um, but I'm saying you never know if that's going to happen. And And if you were not such a nice person, 
to your team member in market 150, do you mm -hmm. think they're really, they're going to remember that when you want the job in market five? Well, I think it's, I mean, networking is queen and networking is king. And, and, yes. and I think that's absolutely important. However, I also think it's important that, you know, I think the more people you know in the business, the more people you can learn from in the exactly. business. Um, I've been very fortunate to, you know, have this podcast now where I'm on my 68th episode and the majority of the people who I've interviewed are people like yourself who, you know, I don't know, well, you I would have known regardless, but <laughs> a lot of the people are people who I might not have, uh, you know, not might not have known to contact otherwise had I not either met them earlier or, uh, you know, or met someone who knew them and thought they'd be a good person to interview. And that has enabled me and hopefully everybody listening to the podcast to really learn a lot from a, a broad base of people in the industry. And I don't think that would have happened if I had just kind of closed myself off and just tried to find everybody from scratch with well, no such... Well, if you can just do it yourself. Right, There's yeah. so much in this business, and you know, of all people, I mean, you you do do it all yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. But but ultimately, you need other people, Yeah. Um, whether that's for inspiration um, or advice or just getting, you know, sometimes I'll have a script if it's not a, um, if it's not a day turn, um, just have somebody look at it and mm -hmm. with fresh eyes um, because you can get so attached to things that you want to keep in there that, that maybe just are okay being left out. Um, so I think it's, a, yeah, it's important to cultivate those relationships um, not just, not just for work purposes, but, you know, they just make you a better human. And I will say, I mean, yes, I, I work largely by myself, but I mean, I <laughs> take every chance I get to, you know, loop in other people for advice, for, you know, a fresh set of eyes, like you said. I mean, I was working on this half hour documentary that I pretty much shot entirely on my own. And it was a beast to put it all together. And you know, when you're in the middle of something large like that, you get so deep into it and you know every angle of it. And sometimes it can be difficult to tell what will be powerful for a broader audience and what is significant only really to you because you've been in it. Right. So through that process, I probably had half a dozen people watch that thing. And it would just, and I would, you know, swivel my head around the newsroom and see, okay, <laughs> who looks like they're not busy for the next 20 minutes and can watch this thing. And, uh, you know, and yes, I, I think, especially for a lot of people coming in who, you know, are working alone and they're expected to work alone. And going back to what you said about, you know, uh, being vulnerable and being willing to show, you know, I don't want to say weakness necessarily or what seems like weakness, but I think there's a stigma that if you're a solo video journalist and you start asking for help all the time, that you can't cut it on your own. And I think there's a difference between asking for a you know, photographer every shoot and right. you, know, you could do that, but probably more beneficially for yourself, you can, you know, at the end of your shift, find someone who you respect and ask them to watch a few pieces and see what they think. And I, I mean, again, I, I feel like you and I have been fortunate to work in some really great newsrooms, but I've never heard of an instance of a young reporter going to a more experienced reporter or photojournalist and asking for advice 
and that person saying, nah, not interested. You know, I've never heard of that happening. Maybe they, maybe they say like, let's, can we try it like on a time when we're both able to do it or, or both right. not busy, but I've never heard anybody turn down the, the chance to help a younger reporter or a photojournalist uh, improve the craft because it's so important. And I, yeah, I mean, and I think you just kind of hit on what I was going to say is just for the more seasoned, I'll call it journalist, just to be, <laughs> be generous with your time um, for that reason, because that's a vulnerable moment for someone to ask for help or ask for an opinion. Um, so yeah, be generous with your time when asked. And, and I always take that as a compliment if, if somebody's asking. And I would say, don't be afraid to ask yourself too, because yeah. a lot of times, you know, it's just when we think we know what we're doing that we start right. to fall on the backside of the curve of right. this whole thing, you know? Right. Oh yeah. I mean, there are a couple stories that I've done that I've really liked and I still really liked, but then I show them to John Sharifi and he really, <laughs> and he really likes them, but he gives me that one note of where I go, Oh, why didn't I do that? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, now I was looking at your bio on the website and the earliest <laughs> station that I could find for you is Santa Barbara. Is that where you started or did, were you working elsewhere before that? Uh, I was, uh, no, Columbia, Missouri was my first job. Oh, okay. Um, and you didn't go to Missouri. You went to uh, I did not. Yeah, I went to TCU. I am currently working at the station where I did my first internship. How wow. crazy is that? Um, but no, my first station was KMIZ, the ABC affiliate in Columbia, Missouri. And I think I was the only person in that newsroom who was a non-Mizzou grad <laughs> I was also, I will say lucky for me, the only person who was on my first job. Everyone else I worked with was on their second job. So I didn't have a situation of the blind leading the blind. Huh. Um, there were already people who um, had experience, granted not a lot, but had some experience that I could ask questions of. Um, so uh, I think I lucked out there. Mm. And I always had this, you know, I, I kind of stayed, I stayed there for three years. I, I stayed until I felt like I have nothing left to learn and then moved on. My first clue actually that it was time to move on was when I had, a, I got a call from another station, you know, a, like an 80 some market station um, and what is Columbia? Wanting to, and it was 150 at the time, I think, oh, okay. 145, 150, something, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, and I got a call from a news director about my reel and, and wanted a resume. And I said, I don't even know why you have my reel. And <laughs> one of the, I, somebody from a competing station had sent <laughs> my <laughs> They said, we got to get this, we got to get this <laughs> Noel Walker character out of here. I, why, I didn't realize Columbia was always that competitive. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was when it got that kind of wheels turning of, uh, perhaps I should think about moving. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that was what lit the fire to, to move on. And yeah, and then I ended up in the um, Santa Barbara market. Yeah. And from there, you've, again, just looking at the bio here, yeah. fill in the blanks for me, but We've got Santa Barbara, Minneapolis, Los Angeles. Yep. Los Angeles. 
San Francisco. Um, San Francisco. And then freelance for network for NBC for about five years in there. And then um, Channel 2 in San Francisco. And then here in Dallas. How was uh, dipping your toe into the network waters? Um, I, you know, I really liked it. Um, if for no other reason, you know, you have those days in local news where you're kind of fishing for a story or what am I going to do today? Or it's a slow news day, but you're working that day. If you're mm-hmm. working, you know, particularly freelance at network, you're there for a reason. I'm, there's something happening. <laughs> um, and, and what I also really liked is that it, um, because there are so many layers of people, it really allows you to do your job um, instead of sometimes the feeling that you're having to um, be the producer, be the writer, be the reporter, particularly in a breaking news situation, you know, getting all the updates. I mean, when you're, say, when you're freelancing for, say, you know, News Channel and MSNBC, you're live every couple of minutes, if particularly in a breaking situation. And when are you looking up updates? I mean, it was nice to have a producer in my ear saying, hey, just sent you this, just sent you that, mm-hmm. you know, so that you can kind of in between um, keep yourself updated when you don't have time to step away. You're, you're on the X, you know, on the sidewalk, ready to go to the next place. So... Um, in that sense, uh, it was, it was nice. Um, you do lose a little bit of creative control over what the story ends up looking like. Cause it's being edited someplace where you don't see an editor. Right. Um, so it, you know, there's a given, there's a give and take. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I, I worked with amazing people, um, every time at the network, there's a producer, Sarah Fruman who um, is with NBC News Channel, who's, you know, she could, here's an example of being kind. She has, I think, three phones going at one time at any given time. (laughs) And everybody, you know, asking her for things. And you can come up to her while she's got both phones on either ear and ask her a question and she's not going to snap at you. so, yeah, I've been really lucky to work with some kind. really, really good people. Yeah. And now you're in Dallas. Um, you know, uh, we've talked quite a bit in our various conversations about just the absurd amount of talent that is in your newsroom. Uh, <laughs> you know, from yourself to Ryan Oliveira to Mike Richard to Peter Hull to Kristen yep. Dickerson to the investigative team that just won a Peabody, right? Peabody. Or, yeah, so, just a Peabody. You know, just no a Peabody. Um, I can relate in that I also work in a newsroom with Peabody winners and National Award winners, Gracie Award winners and National Murrows and Cronkite Awards. And, and, and I think I'm okay, but I, you know, I, I find that there is always, if I ever feel like, if I ever start to feel like I'm pretty hot stuff, I can just look around the newsroom. And it's not just, by the way, the <laughs> national award winners. It's it's all of the innovative, younger journalists who are trying new things. Again, like when I talk about asking for help, I'm not just talking about asking the vets in the room. I am always looking for that younger perspective on you know, what a younger audience wants to see out of its news reports. And we have plenty of people. And I think 
So it's kind of like a double-edged sword because you can never really get too comfortable in a newsroom like that because you know there's always someone else who is working just as hard, if not harder, to do great work. And you know you have to keep your work up to a certain standard. That said, that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And that kind of atmosphere, I think, pushes everyone to do really great work. And that's such a great thing for the business and for the craft. I imagine you feel a similar way at your station. I do. And actually, Ryan Oliveira and I were talking, I don't know, it might have been last year that I said this, but, you know, I play, I play golf. And when I play with somebody who is better than I am, I play better. When I play with somebody who's not so good, uh, I feel like I'm cursing myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's the same principle. I think, I think, um, when you surround yourself with, with people who are good or who at least are interested in doing good work, um, that you better yourself. Noel, uh, I regret to inform you that I don't think we can ever play golf together because <laughs> you will not have a good time. I will drag you down to my... It'll always be a good time. <laughs> my 50 handicap or whatever, uh, whatever I'm playing at. Um, Noel, that's, uh, that's all the questions I have. This has been just a, a tremendous conversation. I'm so glad we got to do this. Uh, before Thank I let you, you go, I always like to ask that question, that famous reporter's question that I'm sure you've asked uh, thousands of times. Is there anything we haven't touched on that, <laughs> that you wanted to add? Um, I, I will just say, because people ask me, you know, how do you, what's your process? What's your writing process? And in a nutshell, log, log everything. Um, include your photojournalist if you're not an MMJ. Include your photojournalist in on the process because they have something to say too. That'll just make your story better. You're a team. It's not you telling somebody what to do. You're a team. Um, and and talk to your producers. Uh, try to get them to buy into your vision because that'll only help. It feels yeah. almost criminally negligent that we've been talking for, you know, 40 minutes or so and haven't <laughs> talked about your process and your writing, which is, you know, you're among the best in the country. And, uh, oh. and I would be, because, uh, and again, I, but I feel like, I feel like the topics we did discuss were, were important and, and yes, they you are. Know, you're one of the few people in this business who is qualified to talk about probably three dozen different important topics in our business. So this was the one I chose for this conversation. However, I would encourage those of you listening who want to hear more about that process and, and Noel's process in, in particular, uh, go back and listen to the episode with Ryan Oliveira that I did earlier this year about the work that uh, the two of you did in Sutherland Springs um, yeah. after the church shooting there, because that was, that was a really fascinating interview, uh, where, you know, Ryan talked about how you guys approached a really tough situation where, uh, you know, you were far from the only media covering it. And, uh, and if anybody hasn't seen the stories and the work that you two produced, again, you can go back to that, uh, for those of you listening, you can go back to the, uh, the blog post with the podcast with Ryan, because it, there are some links embedded in there, but, yeah, I mean, anything you want to say about that before we let you go, Noel? Just I about. I just think that was an example of we both approached that story as 
human beings, mm -hmm. how, how would we feel if we were in that same situation? Um, not as photojournalist and reporter. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was key there. Um, because we, at the end of the day, we wanted to feel good about our presence there. You, you know, we can't control what other people were doing, but we wanted to feel good about what we did. And that's how we approached it. Yeah. Noel Walker of KXAS TV in Dallas Fort Worth, thank you so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you for asking. I appreciate you. <laughs> then the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time. Yeah.